This is Morgan, and welcome to If These Walls Could Talk. In this podcast, I interview fellow mural artists and art advocates, as well as share my own insights from 20 years in the field so that we can all up our game together and more great mural art can get made. Today, I want to talk about who gets picked and other controversial opinions that I introduced in my book, The Mural Artist's Handbook. It's now on sale at Amazon. So if you haven't picked it up yet, you can order a copy online. And um, in making the book, I basically wrote and wrote and wrote and then took all that content and whittled it down to about 50%. And I realized the other day that something ended up on the cutting room floor that I actually really wanted to put in the book. And I just want to read that to you. Who gets picked? Deciphering which artists are chosen, which creative voices and perspectives are shared in a community is too frequently the result of an imperfect selection process. For example, street art festivals can gain city and building owner approval for walls, but typically don't have much in the way of a budget to pay the artists. The art that gets made under those conditions is painted by whoever is willing and able to work for very little pay typically younger and less experienced artists who don't have families to feed. Intentionally curating a diversity of voices is frequently overlooked in the artist selection process, especially on privately funded public mural projects. One community I bid on a project for recently had brought 10 large-scale murals to their downtown, one every year over the course of 10 years. They were all funded through private donations. However, nine out of the 10 artists selected to paint the murals year after year were either white or male, representing only a small segment of the diverse community, but actually closely representing the people who were donating and selecting the artists. Private interest groups can be a boon to bringing artwork to communities, but ensuring that the artist representation is well-rounded makes for more diverse perspectives and is vital to ensuring the artwork is relevant to the broader community. So I think this might be a controversial opinion. I'm not sure, but I felt like it should have gotten in the book for a variety of reasons. Mural art is so physical that it cannot be equally 50% women represented in the public art sphere, for one. That's to start. And second of all, it should also represent the racial demographic of the community and also a variety of ages because you get different voices. Newer voices are important and the older experienced voices are also important. Sometimes they've both been creating artwork for longer and they have a different perspective on why they make art and who they make art for. So I just think diversity is important and worth looking into and worth looking at for public art selection committees. So that's one piece. And I am sorry that that did not make it into the book. But the main point is we're all working together to make our communities a more beautiful place. And I do feel like it's important to approach every project assuming people have the best intentions and they want something beautiful and they want something well done. And we're all educating each other in real time with how is the best way to accomplish that. And so approaching it together with a learner's mind, like would this make sense? How does this feel? What does this feel like? It's not an open and closed, shut subject. We're not 100% there. And there could be other reasons that I don't 
fathom why things are done the way they are, but they're changing really quickly and we're all getting up to speed on that. And I think that is a very beautiful thing. So that didn't make it in the book, but I'm pretty sure, you know, that might have been a bit of a controversial opinion, but I wanted to mention a few other controversial opinions I bring up in the book also. Now that I have the mic, spray versus paint, spray paint versus house paint. So I use house paint and I use house paint because it matches my style. And for exterior murals, it makes sense to use a product that's engineered to last under exterior conditions for the longest time frame possible. So that's a metric of how I choose what to work with. Also, I appreciate that it's non-toxic. I use Aura, which is no VOC. It's self-priming and I don't have a lot of overspray. So it works for interior and exterior so I can get really good at one medium and use it all over the place. Having said that, if spray really fits your creative intention and longevity is not the goal, go for spray. I think artists are coming to street art and mural art from a lot of different disciplines and backgrounds. So, you know, respecting the different voices and how they were developed is part of what makes the diversity in mural art so interesting. Like I don't think there's a clear right and wrong, but I do feel like there's benefits to using house paint for a host of reasons that I go over in the book. And I think that's going to be a bit unpopular, but I throw it out there anyway. Another idea that I think is going to be unpopular is that I embrace that mural art is not forever. The main reason I do that is that because my goal in writing this book and doing this podcast is so that more great mural art can get made because then more artists are finding work and using their creative voice in new ways. Preservation isn't my bag because lawsuits create a lot of negative energy, attention, money towards not necessarily um, causes that are going to move the mural art community forward. So sometimes artwork, I mean, inherently paint has a lifespan. And depending on how long ago it was painted, if it was full sun, could be 20 or 30 years. Paints have actually improved a lot. But let's just say it was painted 20 years ago, the paints are fading. It doesn't represent the community well anymore, regardless of the artistic merit and how relevant it was 20 or 30 years ago. I think it's more important to create something that's relevant and beautiful now rather than holding on to everything that we've made. I think the nature of mural art is temporal. I have had various projects of mine painted over, removed, and I'm still so happy I did them. For example, my Greta Thunberg mural was taken down last week and I was able to paint that because it was at a temporary construction site. And when they emailed me and said, hey, what can we do with this mural now? I said, I painted it for her visit. I wanted it to be up in my community. I appreciate you making the space for me and you guys can use it as firewood or auction it off or do whatever you want because the purpose was met. Also, I painted murals for Minted and they would have me come back every two years and repaint the same wall because they wanted a fresh look and feel in their building. And you know what? Every couple of years, I got new work and I was happy for that work. So that was good. And also even on private residences, I've, uh, one time a friend told me recently, oh, I, I was hired to paint over a mural you had painted for a girl's room. Well, she had enjoyed it for 10 or 12 years. She wanted new artwork. That was a job for me. And now it's a job for a new artist. 
So I just think there's a lot of benefits for, hey, it's just paint. Let's just keep expressing ourselves and, you know, take photos, preserve it on a website, put it in a book, city history. There's a lot of ways to preserve images and it doesn't necessarily need to be in situ. That's my personal controversial opinion. And I guess my final controversial opinion I just wanted to review today, unpack that's in my book is I am not a fan of exposure gigs. There are lots of opportunities that people will present to you that a lot of people are going to see it. So you should paint your mural there for little or no pay because a lot of people are going to see it. But the problem is that doesn't lead to more paid work. So it also won't keep you in business to keep making your artwork for the long term, which is the point of all of this is to create a sustainable platform, a business where you're making money at a steady rate month after month, year after year, so your artwork can get better. And if you start out the gate giving it away, you get some practice, but just don't take those gigs with the illusion that they're going to lead to more paid work. That has not been my experience with the work I've given away. Now, the world is changing so fast. That could change. I'm just speaking from, in my experience, when I've given it away to auctions, when I have, let's see, I've actually been pretty good over my career. Sometimes, well, I'll get paid, but then somebody will say, oh, but this is going to be really good for, you know, your career can get a lot of exposure. It doesn't necessarily lead to more work. All the murals I do at schools, I give big discounts. A lot of families see those. It doesn't lead to more paid work, typically. It leads to more school murals, typically in the same price range. So just challenge that. Challenge that, that the only way you're going to make it as an artist is to give it away at any point. I think even at the beginning, finding a paying client at some price point that's relevant to what you're creating is important. So that is my advice for today. And that's it. I hope this is helpful. If it is, let me know. Check me out on um, Instagram, morgan.murals.studios. Send me a DM. So you can send me an email, morgan at morganmurals.com. Rate and review this podcast if it's helpful so that I know to keep going and other people can find it. It's super helpful. And I just wish you all the success. I think the world needs beautiful mural art in the community more than ever in 2021 and going forward. And we're all in it together, making the world a more beautiful place, one wall at a time. Thanks for being here. Take care.